1: Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It's all moving along very nicely this morning. There's hardly anything to complain about and everyone is getting along swimmingly. Even Emmanuel Macron is calling on the EU to offer Theresa May a deal on Brexit. So I'm not sure what we're going to do a show about this morning. Well, at least I wasn't sure until I saw this story. Don't worry, we've managed to find some people who aren't entirely happy with their lot. Apparently 13 weeks holiday and an average salary of 38,000 quid isn't good enough for the teachers of this country, and they're all leaving the profession in droves. Where are they going to get better conditions and better pay than that? We'll be finding out. 03444991000. We'll be talking uh, to Jerry Glazier from the National Union of Teachers. Daisy McAndrew is here, and we'll be looking at whether a government ban on energy drinks to the under-18s is actually a good idea, and indeed, is it workable, and why air conditioning is the new battleground in the War of the Sexes? We'll be turning up the heat. Well, actually, I'll be turning it down. 0344 You're listening to me, Mike Graham, and Daisy McAndrew on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. the Independent Republic of Mike Graham 03444991000. We are talking about uh, the classroom this morning because apparently there's a shortage of teachers. There's going to be an even bigger shortage of teachers uh, in the coming years uh, if we don't do something about it. Uh, we were just talking there to a member of the NUT uh, who said the idea of offering bonuses to bring uh, more teachers in to teach maths and science is the wrong idea uh, and it won't work. Samantha says the thought of today's often unruly kids may put some off going into the teaching profession and Rob says difficult to be vocational when you're trying to get on the housing ladder, pay rent, pay off student loan, afford the increasing rail fares, car running costs, just pay teachers more. They may have holidays, yes, but it all evens out during term time Overworking. Well, I'm sorry, I don't really accept that these teachers have such a terrible life, you know, that they're all planning uh, lessons all the time. I accept that certainly they've had a problem uh, with the changing curriculums over the years, and they've had to do more work, perhaps, uh, uh, to, to, to get more used to a different system. However, you know, lots of people have to do work outside of their normal working hours, and they're not like the only ones that do, and they also get Thirteen weeks holiday, but well, let's go at the phones because uh, Chris, uh, who used to be a teacher, uh, has called us. You can call us as well. Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand uh, is the number. Chris, a very good morning to you.
2: Hey there, Mike. I mean, yeah. I um, I worked before I became a teacher. I worked as a non-teaching head of the year, okay, in charge of uh, in charge of discipline and all that sort of stuff right. in school, and became a teacher at an FE college later. I think these days I've got not a solution, but I've got um, something that will affect them. Uh, they should start now, bringing in head teachers who are not teachers. Right now, that, 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 that I tell you now, the teachers would go mad about this. But there's a sh- massive shortage of head teachers. You bring in people who actually know how to manage adults, because I can tell you now that the management of teachers in school is shocking. Because I've worked in one, mm. and. Um, and 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 these people are managers, so they're head teachers, but they're managers. Yes. So they know the budget. Yeah, they know how to manage people because that's an appalling side of it, and they can actually come into schools and become head teachers or head executives. And the head teacher gets on the teaching or
1: whatever. but isn't that where they've gone wrong enormously but Chris isn't that where they've gone wrong in the NHS because they brought in all these managers into the NHS who didn't know anything about being a doctor and they made them run the hospital uh, and in fact they no, ran no, they that. ran it quite sort of you know financially successfully however they didn't run it to the benefit of, the, of either the patients or, or the uh, or the doctors.
2: I mean, running a hospital is a massively complicated job, Mike. But running a school is not difficult. And I, I know a lot of people say it is. It isn't actually. Yeah, no. So you know, these people would come in. They would be good managers. They got proven track record in management, proven track record in budgetary, in, in, uh, in budgetary, et cetera, And they run the school. Mm. They and, and they just they just. And and I think that would really help because there's a massive shortage of people yeah. who want to be head. I will tell you what. I mean, I, not, I think you're
1: onto something because I agree with you when I said to uh, our guest earlier, Jerry, that from the that an awful lot of head teachers are actually being asked to be chief
2: executive-type figures
1: without having the experience or the knowledge of how to do that. You know, they're trained to be teachers. They're not trained to be managers.
2: Exactly. I mean, and and that's one of the biggest problems. I mean, what you've got now, you've got these super heads who take on two and three schools, some of which are good, some of which are not so good Mm. and failing. So they they lump these schools together. So that's transferable, goes across. And and they're supposed to, the idea is it drags the bad school up. Yeah. But uh, they've done this in the cops. They brought in these directly superintendents because I used to be a cop. Okay. And and they that, and, and you know they've done it. I'm not sure that's a great success. But but I mean the, the higher. Up- I mean the difficulty it, difficulty problem.
1: Chris with using uh, with using the police force as an example is that they're in an even worse shape than the teaching profession.
2: Oh yeah yeah well that's <laughs> you well having brought in direct superintendents who've <laughs> had no. Obliter- yeah, maybe it's your fault.
1: I mean you've that. been a teacher and a copper uh, and they're both now in terrible decline.
2: No, no, it is my fault. Yeah, yeah, I'm it sorry. I'll tell you what. Let, give, give me, give me a run. I'll sort them out. <laughs> I
1: bet you would. Thank you very much indeed, Chris, uh, giving us uh, his uh, benefit of his experience. And he says quite rightly, it's not that difficult to run a school. It's really not. But I think it's no. it's correct, Daisy, that they should separate out the financial side if you are running a kind of academy where you've got a budget yeah. and you have to stick to that budget and you can't get any more money from the local authority and the teaching side
3: yeah definitely and but i just think that a lot of this sort of complaining about the way schools run and the way that the you know budgets are run and so on is, is missing the the bigger picture which is that i don't think even with the best will in the world mm. with tinkering going on we are going to find these teachers that we need right you know the the kind of scary figures of six hundred thousand extra pupils coming through the system, yeah. needing an extra fifty thousand um, teachers. If given the amount of teachers that are leaving, and I think that. There must be another solution. And Mm. I don't know. I mean, I was reading an article this morning about saying, can we use technology to help with this situation? Well, I mean,
1: you would think so, wouldn't you? Yeah.
3: One of the fears, of course, is that technology will be used in the way that we all use iPads to babysit our children in. Kids are basically going to be taught by computers. And
1: they'll all be actually not paying any attention. And they won't
3: be paying any attention. Mm. And the teachers will will be overseeing these massive classes of, you know, 50 kids in a class all plugged into a computer. And I'm quite shocked sometimes when my kids do homework online. And, it's, and they basically mark their own homework. Yeah. Well, the teachers had no involvement right. in that piece of work at all. But I, I reckon that, that will be the way things go because mm. we're simply not going to be able to find the human beings to do these jobs. And also
1: one of the things that they can quite easily do now, and I only say this because I've seen it done, uh, by my own children, is, is, you know, they get told, oh, you know, feel free to go onto the internet to find the answers to these questions, blah 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 Yeah. Write this essay about this. And they're quite happy to to cut and paste it. I mean, I was try and discourage it and say, don't just cut and paste it, at least rewrite it if you're going to do something, you know. Well, it's
3: so obvious. Yeah, well, exactly.
1: They're... But they don't, they don't seem to care. They don't get marked down for it. It's not as if, you know, that's a problem. It's, but... it's almost as if they're being rewarded uh, for having the brilliance to be able to go onto Google find the place they were looking for, find the information and just copy it in.
3: Well, there are again. You think about technology finding solutions as well as creating problems. Yeah. You know, we know from universities now that they have algorithms where they can spot immediately mm. plagiarism. Yeah. So that is a good thing that the, the technology is yeah. helping. It's I think helping certainly to at Trump that stage, yes, Trump, at that stage. But I can see that you see that trickling down mm. into into schools to stop that sort of you know, blatant cheating. But there is there's going but to have I'm to. But what I'm saying be... is,
1: I don't think they see it as blatant cheating anymore. I think they, yeah, they that's just the way I of think, the world. Yeah, I think they see the fact that you're yeah. capable to of, of going onto the internet, finding what you're looking for and and bringing it back to your piece, and just using their words. I think they see that as a skill.
3: As a skill. Well one of the things that a lot of educationists have said to me over the years is the most important thing that teachers can do is teach kids how to learn yeah. not actually right. uh, as in it being a skill in itself and I think there is some truth in that yes. as, as opposed to I think mean, you know we, we've talked about this as one of the skills of, mm. of being a parent is teaching kids to understand the difference between sort of you know an advert and something that's actually yeah. true and it's that sort of critical thinking right. that, that I think particularly in this day where kids are so reliant on the internet there's a sort of different skill set that we need to teach them about how to work out what's true and what's not yeah. when we were young we'd look something up in encyclopedia Media, it would be true yes whereas now there are so many different versions of things that they're right. they're, they're having to navigate mm. through mm. and again it's it's a more creative way of teaching and i think
1: we all know as well when from, from from certainly from my own time at school and from even just talking to teachers that have taught my children you know certain teachers are better at relating to kids i mean i always got on yeah. uh, in subjects much better if i got on better with the teacher yeah you know and i think that's a pretty universal standard and and you know i think most teachers who are good are, are very good teachers and I don't think those are the kind of ones that leave the profession and maybe the ones who are leaving the profession are those who are perhaps not that good
3: or it could be argued that those who don't leave the profession don't leave because they can't get a job outside of the profession yeah, if, you're being, like, if you're being unkind yeah. and those that do are those that are, are snapped up because they have skills that can uh, that are transferable I mean I like you my academic achievement was completely you know if you've done a curve it was completely dependent on my relationship yeah. with teachers and at secondary school I hated my teachers and they hated me and I did really well, all badly of all of them pretty much <laughs> and then I went to sixth form college yeah. basically you know for, sixth form college for rebels because yes. I was really yeah injured. I went to one of them and to my shock horror discovered that teachers were actually human beings yeah. who, who who actually cared about me and probably me. treated
1: you slightly more as an adult as well yeah
3: and, and suddenly there was no point in me mm. rebelling and talking back because they wanted the best and suddenly I did got really good levels, yeah. so it was such a cause of Rebellious, you,
1: oh, no. really. Uh, Rob <laughs> says this, good morning, he says, yet again, this teacher discussion replicates the view of yesterday about housing. The government has lost its grip on reality. How did it all go so wrong? Clueless mandarin's too busy claiming expenses and losing focus with no clear plan. I think that's the problem. I mean, we've talked about this before as well, There, where, and I know that the issue, the, the business of government is, is much more complicated than this, but wouldn't it be good if you had a government and a minister who actually knew the subject, you know, like, you know, Jeremy yep. Hunt was in charge of the NHS and, and the Department of Health uh, for many many a year he vowed that he was not going to leave that job until it was all sorted out Uh, and now suddenly he's Foreign Secretary and he's expected to know everything there is to know about going to South Africa uh, and going to Nigeria and going to uh, Iran to negotiate yeah. the release of, of, of a woman who's being held prisoner there. You know, and the same with Michael Gove. Suddenly they put him in charge of, uh, you know, the education system. He completely rips it all up and then leaves and, then and tells on. us all to stop using uh, wood-burning stoves. And,
3: and, and some of the the smaller um, ministerial jobs, I think are, it's even more important because some of those jobs, I mean, housing and aviation are two examples of really important areas. And the turnover. I mean, it's a revolving door yeah. of, of ministers, so they literally have... Well, I think we've had about
1: think, 10 housing ministers this I year, on I mean.
3: average, that's like four or five yeah. months. Oh, I know. How can you possibly get a grip on something in such a short period of time?
1: Absolutely ridiculous. We'll take more of your calls, though. 0344 499 1000 is the number. We've also put a call in uh, to Damien Hines, who is, by the way, uh, the uh, Department of uh, <laughs> yes. Education Damien Secretary Huhi. of State. Damien Yeah, Damien He Hines. I've never <laughs> heard of him until this morning. 57 Varieties. This is Talk Radio. <laughs> the end. Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
0: Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Need the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter than air feel and barely their fit makes these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage.
1: Interesting choice. Very good. Susie Quattro. Oh. Haven't heard of her for a long time. No, 03444991000 is the number to call us on. Julia says energy drinks are awful and children shouldn't drink them regularly. But isotonic drinks can be very helpful if you're recovering from a tummy bug as they contain electrolytes. I'm not quite sure what an isotonic drink is. Oh, is that LucasAid? Is. Uh, I, well, it might. Well, LucasAid was always kind of looked upon as a, as a more healthy version of, of Coke, wasn't it?
3: Or a hangover cure. Or a
1: hangover cure. I <laughs> see. I've never done it. Iron brew, for example, in Scotland, they yeah. love that as a, as a, as, a, um, as a as a hangover cure. But again, it's not something I've, I've never really had any. Great love for those kinds of fizzy drinks. I've just never well, really liked them.
3: I know a friend of mine used to drink a lot of Lucasade, sort no. of particularly you know, the morning after and stuff. And um, he ended up getting quite ill, and, really, and being sort of on the border of diabetes. Really, yeah. and oh, just the, because and of the, the, all the Lucasade, and the Lucasade was considered a significant part of it. Right. But I mean, looking at it, actually, the sugar in Lucasade is nothing compared to the sugar in. I mean, so the, it's the monster energy drinks which are the most. Uh, sugary and Red Bull, that Red Bull's really sugary as well. So, Red Bull and Monster have 52 grams, um, you know, per drink and LucasAid of sugar mm. and LucasAid only has 17. Yeah, but you
1: know, that's still quite a lot, though, isn't it? It's Let's talk to, uh, to Dan who's in Gloucester. Uh, he's, um, uh, I think got some experience of energy drinks and the business of, of energy drinks. Dan, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning. Thanks very much indeed for calling. What do you want to tell us?
4: Um, well, yeah, I, I work in the uh, energy drink industry. Um, first of all, like children shouldn't drink them at all. It's right. definitely never ever been marketed at children. It's right. never been something that children should have had. Um, but I know that the big four supermarkets uh, all put in a ban recently, voluntarily, saying they weren't going to sell them to under sixteen
1: Right. Uh, and has that has that affected the sales very much?
4: Um, it has to to an extent, but that's the worst impact that it's had on them is the kind the unknown loss. Mm. Since that ban's come in, there's been a lot more uh, theft of the energy drinks. Right. Which I think you put two and two together, you can kind of attribute that to kids going, "Well, we're still going to get them. We're just going to nick them Is instead." Just going
1: to nick them instead. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're very resourceful teenagers, aren't they?
4: <laughs> they can be. Yeah. But and um, yeah, the, the wider impact that I was also wanting to talk about was kind of on the independent retailers. So this ban that's being proposed would come into force across any kind of retailer that's selling them. So if you think that the big supermarkets, they've been experiencing death because they stopped kids and buying them, independent retailers, you'd assume are going to experience that as well. Um, but also if, if they're uh, not going to be able to sell them to kids, the, the most popular energy drinks with kids and independent retailers, from what I've seen and what I've heard, is not necessarily brands like Monster, Red Bull, Relentless or Rockstar. It's more of the own brand energy drinks. Uh, so, a Monster Can is uh, about £1.35, Red Bull's about £1.29, but the own brand ones are as little as 30p. Wow. Um, yeah, I can. I could walk into a corner shop and see uh, during term time about 8 o'clock in the morning, some kids will buy four of them in the morning, and then on the way back from school, buy four of them in the evening as well.
3: My so that, goodness that's me. The main,
4: yeah, that's the main kind of drink that's popular with younger children, which is just down to the price. but. Going on with the impact it has on retailers, if they can't sell those drinks, then they're not gonna stop them because they're not gonna take up space in their shop with things they can't sell. Mm. And then that's gonna affect the amount that they order with their distributors. So people like uh, Booker and Bestway have certain clubs for their retailers where if you order a certain amount per week or per month, you get discounts across your whole order. Right. So retailers could be affected in that if they're not ordering as much, they're going to receive less kind of discounts, and that's really going to hit them in the pocket. Okay. Things like the sugar tax that have come in, they've already really impacted independent retailers. There's proposed uh, measures to move all kind of single confectionery away from retail areas as impulse purchases. There's talk of a salt tax coming in on uh, single packets of crisps, all, all sorts of things. It just seems like it's it's, it's not been a well-thought-out way no. to try and stop kids from drinking energy drinks. Um, it
1: sounds to me like you don't think if there is a ban uh, or on sale of these drinks to under-18s that it would work anyway.
4: It would have some impact, but I don't think it would have the impact everyone's saying it will. Mm. Kids will still drink it. They'll still find a way to get hold of it.
1: Right. I mean, what sort of of, of kind of industry guidelines are there, if any, for, for the for the manufacturers of these drinks? Because you were saying that one of the big problems is the very cheap end of the market where they sell uh, for as little as 30p a can uh, and kids get access to those in all sorts of different places anyway. Um, I mean, are there any regulations that, that, that sort of, you know, supposedly police the business? Uh,
4: that would be a bit above my pay grade to go into all the regulations, but um, I'm assuming that it would be the general sort of uh, health and safety or food standards guidelines that they would have to adhere to. Yeah, I mean, obviously they would have to adhere to to,
1: to what you would normally expect would be, um, I don't know, the Department of of Food's kind of uh, general guidelines. But, I mean, there's nothing that... And there's probably advertising guidelines as well that you can't advertise them for children and all that sort of thing. But it seems to me that it's pretty much a free-for-all.
4: Again, it's above my pay grade. I wouldn't know uh, if there was any kind of restrictions on... Uh, ingredients and manufacturer
3: of it. Yeah. Well, I've, I, I've had a quick look, and apparently it says, um, uh, or I believe, there's no legal definition of an energy drink, but any product with more than 150 grams of caffeine per liter. So that's not, you know, per drink, but per liter is considered an energy drink. And Lucasade, as we were discussing, um, was the very first. Although I didn't know this, it so was 150
1: per liter. So, per if we're, liter, looking, so yeah. we're looking at Red Bull, or say Monster Juice, which is r- roughly half a liter they've got between 150 and 160 um, milligrams per half litre. So that's like, what, yeah. 220, um, you know, three 300 milligrams per, per litre, something like
3: that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and it says, yeah, apart from the caffeine, when you think about what they contain, apart from caffeine, water and sugar, they also contain uh, salts because, of course, they're, in theory, energy drinks are meant for you know if you, as I was saying earlier, not just been to the gym but sort of run a marathon or something. So they contain salts um, for nerve conduction, um, and if you've been excessively sweating, of course, mm. all of these things are completely unnecessary to a kid who's doing no yeah. exercise at all.
1: Yeah, exactly.
4: Just on just on that point, Daisy, um, there's there's no kind of, or oh, I've got no knowledge of any of the big four marketing energy drinks as being kind of post-workout. There are specific one, so Moose juice is an energy drink which is specifically tailored to that kind of workout environment. Uh, I think Emerge did one as well a while back.
1: But
4: yeah. the Monster Red Bull, Relentless Rockstar, I don't think they tailor everything towards being yeah. kind of a post-workout or pre-workout drink.
3: But I suppose people do think of them, partly because of the word energy, think of them as something that's you know, sort of almost healthy.
4: Possibly. I think there's... Um, I, I'm not sure that the energy drinks for me. I don't know. I know that there's um, one of the brands' of energy drinks. Their kind of strap line is that it's lifestyle in a can, so it's more about. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's not necessarily about a health aspect. Yeah. It's just about. Uh, you think about some of the people that endorse it, maybe. Um, Think about the Red Bull racing team, and obviously Lewis Hamilton uh, is a big advocate of Monster in, in F1. I think that's more of the draw than the health aspect.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah, good point. It's very true. Well, listen, Dan, thanks for all that information, and thanks for uh, for calling in. 0344 499 1000 uh, is the number to call us on. Uh, you can tweet us as well, at Talk Radio. Some very interesting tweets come in on, on this front, because I think the problem is um, when you try to ban something, and you know, as we heard from Dan there, I mean, in in supermarkets, it hasn't had much of an effect on the sales uh, of these drinks because no. the kids are basically now stealing them.
3: But also, I was uh, not just stealing them, but they don't need to steal them. Uh, was the uh, own brand ones are so cheap? I mean, he was saying you could get three cans for a pound for less than a pound. Get yeah. three, cra- three cans for ninety p,
1: mm. which um, is an extraordinary amount of money, isn't it?
3: So, yeah, I mean
1: you can't get. I mean you can't get three bars of chocolate for a pound practically. Can no, you?
3: no. So. I'm um,
1: but I think that's the thing as well. I think you've got to look at the image that these uh, drinks kind of purport to represent. Uh, and as, as he mentioned there, Lewis Hamilton, the whole sort of Formula One racing team scenario. Um, you know, it's a glamorous sort of drink. You know, when I was asking Joe Hemings earlier, what is it that makes these things seemingly uh, sort of interesting? And Red Bull, don't forget, is, is quite clever at sponsorship. They've got, yeah. in fact, they've got a German football team, I think, which has actually got Red Bull in the name. You know, so they've got the Red Bull racing team. They've also got, um, I think, another... They represent some other sporting activity. I can't remember what it is.
3: Well, he was saying Formula One, obviously. And well, Formula the, One is the Formula One team, yeah. Main, but, they, the but, main, they've, but they've also yeah. they've
1: got a football team that plays in the German Bundesliga and it's called Red Bull Salzburg or something yeah. like that. And you know? also
3: just the way they advertise, you know, the sort of funny little cartoon man with wings and all the rest of it. Yeah, they're, they're quite appealing to kids. Um, but we, I mean, we haven't, we didn't touch on with Joe, but of course you and I have discussed quite a lot about all the other stimulants that kids are taking yeah. at school, you know, all the pills. In my day, they used to be called Pro Plus, but they're not called that Oh, so this well, is this what those, they take for
1: sort of uh, for keep, doing exams? To keep you awake, and
3: they're, they're legal, mm. but they're really uh, unhealthy. Well, apparently, um, I
1: mean, a lot of the, the pills they give out for ADHD are pills that people will use if they can get their hands on them, like Ritalin. Yeah. Um, and there's a couple of others which are prescription pills, but somehow, you know, again, children have ways of getting hold of these Yeah,
3: things. well, they're getting them on the internet or on mm. the dark web. They're, you know, yeah. buying pills. I and mean, we talked about slimming pills earlier in the week, but there's these pills. And then there's the university craze for the pills that are you know, allegedly meant to help you concentrate yeah. longer and harder and yeah. all the rest of it. You know, all this the kids, you know, Choosing to be dependent on stimulants that are only going to damage them. Yeah,
1: extraordinary. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, 03444991000. We've been doing the rounds on uh, the Battle of the Sexes in this particular hour. Uh, I haven't mentioned yet, there's a story in the sun this morning uh, about a beer uh, which is called Beer Goggles uh, being pulled from sale because apparently an advertising disc clipped onto the bar pump show a picture of a young woman uh, which, when rotated turns into an old granny. Um, now, that's quite funny to me, but apparently there's been complaints that it's not politically correct, uh, so it's been pulled, apparently, uh, from... Um, so the
3: idea being that, yeah, you know, drink drink this beer and suddenly everybody's going to look really attractive even though they're not. Well, the beer goggles, the thing, beer goggles thing is, exactly, you know you, yeah.
1: know, you end up with somebody that perhaps you might not have ended up with had you not had quite yeah. so much to drink, which I'm sure many people have been guilty of I'm sure in many the past.
3: people... Mike, have been guilty of that in the past. Yeah, well, I mean... Naming no names. Naming no names. I'm not saying I
1: was, (laughs) but other people would have had to be, obviously. Uh, Let's talk to Luigi, though, because in terms of um, uh, getting on uh, with the opposite sex, or indeed the same sex, according to uh, a study that's come out, olive oil uh, and a Mediterranean diet... Uh, is something that is likely to cut the risk of impotence by 40% and boost men's chances of a drug-free sex life into their 70s. We're going to talk to an expert in the Mediterranean diet, and it's Luigi, the manager of the Olive Oil Company in Borough Market. Luigi, a very good uh, afternoon to you. How are you? Hi there. Very well, are you? Yeah, very well indeed. Thank you very much indeed. I was saying uh, just before that pretty much, you know, a lot of us now have the Mediterranean diet because we don't just sit around eating egg and chips and sausage and bacon and mash and all that. You know, we love olive oil and we eat a lot of Mediterranean-type uh, dishes, right?
5: Yeah, we did it every day here in Boromarca at the olive oil court. So, <clears throat> yeah, that, that's very important for me, saying that. Mediterranean um, Mediterranean kitchen is for the Mediterranean kitchen is very important. Yes. To olive oil and the most important misunderstanding there is about olive oil is that it it's perfect to use olive oil for cooking, even uh, for uh, you know an everyday cook. Yeah. But the most important thing is. To use it in the right way, right. So we should not never burn it. It means never uh, cook uh, with more than one hundred eighty-five degrees. That's the most important thing to know about olive oil. But and Luigi, you can do... use it as every day for everything.
3: Do you notice within your family and your community who do presumably eat a Mediterranean diet with a lot of olive oil that that the, the, the men live longer than people who don't or are you know healthier, more virile? I
5: think uh, I think about personal viewpoint that we don't really need a big car, or a good smartphone. Uh, the only important thing that our party really needs is good food. So good food is everything for me. And uh, of course, in uh, in our shop in Borough Market we like more a farm as a pharmacy than just a shop because olive oil balsamic vinegar all this stuff are very important for our body for our for our way to eat you know they and, be right
3: and luigi can i ask how yeah. can i ask you how old you are
5: i'm 31 you're there so
3: you're still a man in his prime you don't
1: need to worry then <laughs> No, not yet. <laughs> <you> see, I <laughs> so, think. Uh, likely, yeah, I think. I think. Family, I think, I think people
5: a very, very I... long life. Uh, yes. History, so. See, I think. I think people.
1: Not I think people have sex uh, and into older age in Mediterranean countries just because it's nice, much nicer there. It's warmer. You know, people are walking around with fewer well, clothes isn't, on. Isn't
3: that what siestas are for?
1: Yeah, well, exactly. You know, just going for a siesta, <laughs> right-o, then. That's, you know, I mean, that's why, isn't
3: it? Because probably, it?
5: Probably you're right, you're right, you're right. But uh, there are there is a there are few things that we should keep in mind when we talk about weather. Even that the North countries are like uh, the, the countries with the highest uh, percentage of uh, people who kill their theft. And it's a very sad thing so food for sure is happiness and uh, our body produces serotonina that is the hormone of happiness exactly when we eat few things or when we have sports and other things so in in few parts of our life we produce serotonina and of course weather and food are very correlated about it
1: and what about a bit of wine as well luigi uh, one is very important as well. Yeah, About, I, I believe yeah, that. of course. <laughs> I agree with you. <laughs> see, this is what you like. You like somebody who says wide is very important. Yeah. Because important is an important word. Where are you from exactly, Luigi?
5: I come from Puglia, in Puglia? Oh, it's oh, like lovely. the hill oh, of Italy. They,
1: they make some and I come from a paradise.
3: Yeah. It's
5: like the, the it, it, Latin were saying uh, finibus terre. It means uh, the end of the land. Right, that's beautiful see one line is a beautiful Place It's
1: like a paradise. Yeah, it's lovely, and they have lovely wine in Puglia as well.
5: Well, lovely wine, lovely food, and lovely people as well. I right. think
1: so <laughs> Okay. And what is your favorite dish to cook with uh, with olive oil?
5: Oh, my favorite thing to cook with olive oil is no is not cooked. I, I really love olive oil. So, for me, the best way to really appreciate the taste is just roll on top of everything. Okay. On top of everything. So, I mean, that my oldest friend used to play with me saying, Do you want olive oil on top of ice cream after dinner? Because I use olive oil well, really everywhere.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's fantastic. Well, listen, Luigi, I might come visit you soon because I'm in Borough Market a lot. So, uh, I'll come and say hello.
5: Yeah. Hello, and see Great. you soon.
1: Thank you very much indeed.
3: Mike, there is one more thing I need to tell you about, oh, this, about this story. Mm. So obviously it was saying that, you know, olive oil and Mediterranean lifestyle can be more effective than Viagra for yeah. men, and, you know, in the bedroom and so on. But they've got a quote, right, from one of the scientists who developed Viagra for Pfizer in yeah. the 1990s. Very, you know, very good point saying, uh, you know, people prefer to take a pill, but you can definitely affect your sexual function by modifying lifestyle. But do you know what his name is? What's his name?